Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. Listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 49, Last Dance Before an Execution. Let it be known that on the 12th day of May 1971, in the presence of these witnesses, that Jesus Ortega was condemned by the state of Florida to death by electrocution. Oh, God. Uh, according to Ziggy, you die on the 14th of May, 1971. That's, oh, that's in two days. I got that, Al. Why? Well, you and Raul were convicted for robbery and murder. According to Ziggy, they admitted robbing the church, but they deny killing the priest. So you're probably here because they're innocent. All that I'll have to do is then figure out who murdered the priest and save my life. Jesus's life. No, my life. I was the one in that chair this morning, Al. We did it. Oh, Jesus, we have a chance. We've got a chance to stop Moody from killing you and Raul. She doesn't prove anything, Sam. She ends up doing life as a social worker in a Florida unemployment office, and you, I mean Jesus and Raul, uh, still burn in the chair. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Allison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we start our arc into, I think, a string of more serious episodes. Anyway, I couldn't find very much to laugh at in this one because we will be discussing Last Dance Before an Execution. Cue the laugh track. (laughs) It's the last dance, last chance (laughs) for love. To live. <laughs> you, just, you can always find the funny side in something, and this episode is no exception. Laugh a minute. <laughs> Laugh a minute. A real side splitter, huh? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing. One thing that really makes me laugh in this episode, I remember finding this on YouTube forever ago. Someone did a compilation of every time they use that squeaky door sound effect in this episode. When they open the cell, the... It's the same sound effect, like 30,000 times. <laughs> I never even noticed that. Is it really? Yeah, and every time I watch this episode, that's what I think of. So something serious will be happening, and then, <laughs> and then I'm taken right out of it. <laughs> it's like folly obsession taken to the extreme, right? It's, I Man, they, they could have changed that up. They didn't need to use the same one every single time. Wow. i got to watch this again. And that's a really common sound effect, so like... 
I hear this in lots of shows because it's just a, a commonly used sound effect, and it drives me crazy. Like, they'll use it for doors that are not metal, like there's no hinges or anything. And, like, <laughs> opening a trunk. Alison, 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 can you stop, please? <laughs> you are you are ruining television for me now. I'm going to be, I, I'm just going to be listening to that. Yeah, that. you can't watch the when episode the same. Oh. I can't watch anything the same now. Now I, I'm no. going to recognize every this. time a door opens. Yeah. yeah, and the Wilhelm scream every time that comes <laughs> well, up. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this episode not a lot to not a lot to laugh about in this one, huh? This is and no Wilhelm screams. Series. No Wilhelm screams. Did no. they ever use Wilhelm in, in Quantum Leap? I don't remember. I don't know before. if they were going to do it. It would probably be sometime in the Curse of Tahoe Tip. That seems like it needs a Wilhelm scream. <laughs> yeah. Sadly, no. So I think we've established this one. Okay, it's maybe not a laugh a minute, except for Matt, but he's demented because he's from the UK. So they laugh at everything. Yeah, I'm British. Yeah. Yeah. So, but uh, why don't we go around, get some first impressions? Because like I said, this one, I think we have a lot more to discuss than we have in previous episodes. This one is a really heavy episode. Um, I, I don't know if it's my favorite uh, heavy theme episode, but it is really well acted, uh, and it's really well done. So it's it's not that it's it's bad. It's just the nature of what it is is kind of slow. So I like it. Yeah, I I'd have to say the the same thing. It's it's such a, a heavy episode and uncomfortable in some places. I had to think long and hard about how to approach this for the podcast because usually we jump in and we start talking about all the funny bits and, and all the happy memories of the first time we saw it. And and all you can say about this one is, yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. So I, I know there's a lot more we can talk about, a lot more we can drag out. But in terms of those first impressions, um, I, I saw this, as with all the episodes, I, I first saw this when I was a kid. And um, yeah, it's it's not massively child friendly. But, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. And what struck me about this episode was it's 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 kind of a contradiction to me. I think it's a very very good episode in very specific ways and a very bad episode because to me there's a marked difference between the concept and I'm sorry, no pun intended, the execution of the episode. <laughs> oh. And I, when I wrote that down, I said, well, I can't change it because it's exactly what I wanted to say, but wow. No, I know. It's obvious, but it's not what I meant. <laughs> it's just, it's just, just bringing in. in the puns constantly. Laughs no. amazing. I don't know. It's funny, um, Allison. I remember you laughed out loud, LOL'd me on Facebook Messenger. We have a show thread for each show. And for the picture that we use, we'll usually put something episode related. And I found that shot of Scott and TV Guide strapped into the electric chair. <laughs> and it says, a quantum leap on Wednesdays and Sam is in the hot seat. And, <laughs> and it just struck me because we were on such a high just joking away on the last episode that we were really looking to maybe keep some of the humor up in this. And I was looking, okay, well, what can I put as like a cheeky image for this episode in, in the picture to represent that show thread? And when you Google search images about electric chairs and stuff, yeah, you, you kind of <laughs> stop laughing really quickly. And I mean, it was, it was, a little bit harrowing and somewhat sickening some of the stuff that came up just on first glance. And I didn't really have the stomach to keep going through it, but 
it completely changed the tone of this episode for me. And I was approaching it on a much more serious level than mm. I think I would have otherwise. It was just this chance Googling made me sober up right quick. It was like a punch in the stomach. And when you think about just the magnitude of Sam's situation in this leap, there is absolutely nothing to joke about. And I was so surprised that TV Guide took that weird sort of tongue-in-cheek approach. <laughs> He's in the hot seat. <laughs> you can always trust TV Guide to come up with a bad pun about the episode. Well, well here's the thing. Um, I totally get what you're saying, Chris, uh, yeah. about this, the, how serious it is. And I, one thing I really did appreciate about this episode is that you feel the gravity there. Um, we talked about this last time when Sam leaps in, he doesn't say, oh boy, he says, oh God, because he truly believes he is going to die. Yeah. But also, I don't think that it's as grim as, as you're saying as far as comparative to other episodes. Um, it, it, there's been a lot of episodes with some really horrifying things, like getting squished by a train. I mean, that would be a horrific thing to see in real life or to experience. Mm. Um so, it, which isn't to say this isn't horrific, but I, I don't know if it's, you know, them like making the pun and stuff. I mean, I think like they were thinking like, okay, what Sam got into this week? <laughs> <laughs> slide whistle. Wah, wah. The thing is, Alison, it, it's, I, I can't agree with you because it's all about tone. Every episode of Quantum Leap deals with some kind of heavy theme, and you could say going right back to the pilot, hey, yeah, it's really nasty being married to a, um, a test pilot who dies. That's that's a horrible situation. There's so many... Hor- yeah, being squished, squished by a train. Horrible situation. This is one of those very rare episodes where Sam believes he's going to die right the way through it. He's He's not acting with hope. And that's why this episode is so much darker than normal. Not just because of the subject matter, because you're right. Um, Quantum Leap deals with a lot of heavy themes. Um, but because of the performance that Scott gives and the lines that are assigned to him. They don't let you escape it. That's the thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, you are stuck in that cell with him. You don't mm-hmm. get any levity. Um, he's just stuck there counting down borrowed time. And that's what makes it so dark. So I, I don't blame TV Guide for for what they did. Like, this episode absolutely is a lot darker than you usually see in the show. Even Al doesn't get any comic relief. Is it some? Yeah, and all of it that he tries is so inappropriate and falls so flat. It just... <laughs> I rewatched the episode a couple of times, and every time Dean's first few lines came up, I just cringed. I, I love it. It's not like you're lost in a mall. You're lost in time. <laughs> I like that one, though. But can I say, line of the episode, whoopee dippy dong your history, son. whoopee dippy dong your history. <laughs> Absolute to Mundo Rooney. Absolute to Mundo <laughs> All right, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't notice those. I guess I was too whoopee busy. whoopee dippy dong how do you not remember <laughs> whoopee dippy dong It's just Dean making noises, making stuff up. That's what <laughs> he does. So. I think, I think <laughs> Dean Stockwell was trying really hard to bring some levity, too, because I, I think that's not his favorite kind of thing. I, I, like, I think he likes doing the comedy stuff better. But. Yeah, bless him. But yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, it's not as, I mean, it, it's pretty heavy. Yeah, and when he first shows up, yeah, okay, it's it, it's it's not even the thing with the mall, Matt. You're right. I mean that that's a pretty good line, and it actually gives Sam some perspective. But 
His first thing is he sees his friend in a cell writing furiously, and he knows the situation. He says, uh, what are you doing, writing the great American novel? How is that the way to approach this situation? I don't think that's very out of character, Is that going to put him? Sam at ease, though? You think that it, this is an out-of-character situation. You think Al would say, Sam, I'm here. I'm here. It's okay. Yeah. Or something like, just come out of the, out of the door reassuring him. Like, we're, we're going to get you out of this. You know what I liked about that, though, is uh, Al's character does that a lot, where he, he tries to bring levity because he does not like to, to be so serious in these situations. And when he comes in there and he makes that joke, Sam's not laughing. Like, he is totally mm. in a different place, and he's angry with him. Um, more angry than usual, like, rightfully so. And sort of, like... It is inappropriate that Al says that in that situation, and that's your indication, like, no, this leap actually is a really big deal. Hmm, I guess that's a way to look at mm -hmm. it. It just it yeah. just struck me as, ooh, you know, how it's tone deaf. And there was another one that he made shortly thereafter saying about, like, well, you can't live with 2,000 volts running through you. And it's like, again, that's it's like really no way to reassure your best friend that maybe he's not going to die. The, the problem is we've gone through nearly – three whole seasons now of Sam always getting out in the nick of time and throughout the whole episode each week Sam is usually fairly confident that whatever's going to happen he's going to be okay I can kind of see from Al's perspective why he would expect just to be able to go in there and say hey you know you're going to save the day you'll get out of here before you sit in the electric chair again it's all going to be fine um, any other week it's almost a bit out of character for Sam to have such a negative feeling towards what's going on around him or not negative pessimistic mm, um, yeah so i can understand why why al does try cracking the jokes but when this episode was written it seems like they tried to change sam's character and make him more pessimistic but didn't bring al along with them and that's where it, it gets a little bit weird well i don't think al's joking is always indicative that he doesn't find it to be a serious situation i think sometimes that's just a coping mechanism Sure. I'll buy that. And I think that you nailed it precisely, Matt, when you said, I never thought of it this way, but all of the way Scott delivers his lines in this, all the way he has Sam act, it, it comes from a basis of desperation, yeah. of, of, of just like bleak hopelessness and fear. And I'm going to have to rewatch again with that in mind, because it's not the usual Sam character turn, of course, because of the situation he's in. But I wonder if Scott had to approach the character in a completely different way in this episode, even for him. Mm. He is bedraggled in this episode. Yeah. You can tell, you can see the progression there from when he leaps in to near the end. He hasn't slept yeah. in 48 hours. You can see how tired he is and unshaven and unkempt and sweaty and, and just hopeless. He's got stubble after, what, 24 hours. He's been in much longer leaps before and not shaved. We don't see him shave. How the test was won, he doesn't look in the mirror until he's been there for over a week. Well, how the test was won was clearly a more serious episode. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't out-cowboy her, Al... <laughs> I'll never get out of this leap. The stubble is there purely for artistic reasons. Oh, oh, he's he's in a bad place. Let's give him some stubble. Sure. I find that really distracting. <laughs> well, that's not like Sam to be so unkempt and disheveled and and 
insane almost. He is really out of character in this because he's a, a man who <laughs> he's a dead man. And uh you can tell like there's such a different way that Scott Bakula plays it because generally Sam Beckett is an optimistic character and he isn't here. Like it's it's so bleak and you can see him going through these stages of grief almost uh to the point where he's roughing up Teresa like he's like shaking her around and yelling at her and and it doesn't seem like something he would normally do roughing up a woman like that <laughs> it was a mark of his desperation that it, it was it was almost like a, like a plea like like sure. you have to do something like the stages of grief he's you know desperate and and then in mm-hmm. denial and then anger unlike the stages of love there are five stages of oh. love the first is denial then the second is sex then there's acceptance then there's divorce and then there's more sex, if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> and then sex, lots and lots of sex. <laughs> Actually, one, one thing I do want to return to, though. We talked briefly about the fact that you can tell this episode is different from the off by the fact that he says, oh God, instead of oh boy. There's obviously, I say obviously, you may know there's a, a comic book where he leaps into the electric chair and mm. says, oh boy. And in the French translation, he still says, oh, bravo, which he says in every other episode. Um, the French did not bother doing anything different that week. <laughs> they they just kept with, oh, bravo, I'm in the electric chair, bravo. What does that translate to, bravo? I, I only hear that at the opera. What is that? Does that, that, that means like wonderful, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's it's like the, the oh, boy, he says it sarcastically at the start of every episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, great. Oh. It's that French twist. Yes. I mean, like, I I do think it was better that they went with Oh God in this one. Oh, definitely. But a lot of the Oh Boys, it very much depends on the delivery, because you can do it a bit more gravely. Sometimes it doesn't quite work, but I mean, I guess, like, it it would depend. I think this one would have been pushing it. Yeah, I think they should have just gone with Oh God in this, but uh, I don't know how it translated into the French version, what people thought. And, you know, there might have been versions where Scott did, oh boy, and maybe mm. just gave them an oh god just, just for shits and giggles, and they said, you know what, maybe we need to go with that one this time. I mean, who knows? Somebody might have written a book about behind-the-scenes stuff at one point. <laughs> uh, no? Nothing, Matt? No, if, if only then you. I read the script, and it did have oh god in it. Oh, oh okay. Does, okay, all right. There wasn't much else different in there, but uh, I do want to talk about God, because this is a theme in this. Uh, mm-hmm. religion and faith like that is oh yeah lots of faith-based themes in this definitely yeah i f- i find this very interesting this was about several people's faith here um raul and jesus's story uh initially starts because they're asking a priest for help to get money for uh, uh raul's sick daughter and the priest says no you're just gonna use it for rum money which doesn't sound like a very uh godly man to do that and yet, at the same time, if you believe whatever is leaping Sam around in time is some higher power, then that higher power is looking out for them, even though they were let down initially, or at least for Raul. Um, and we also get into uh, Teresa's faith being mm-hmm. shaken, and, and also, uh, most prominently, Sam's faith. Very true. Um, this, this touches on so many things. I never thought of the the Jesus and Raul aspect of it where God is revisiting maybe um, not a mistake, but but a slight. They turned to a house of worship 
and they were rebuffed. And now here he is trying to make it right through Sam somehow. If you subscribe to the God aspect of GTFW. Everyone has to have their faith restored in some way. Because Raul was let down by God. Teresa uh, had had her faith shaken. And uh, Sam, throughout this whole leap, is wondering, did God abandon me? Yeah, and I, but here's this is this is part of the episode that made me not like it, and I'm I'm just gonna say it. This was a gimmick episode. Um, oh, <laughs> sorry, did I do that out loud? <laughs> In the sense that, did you ever really think Sam was gonna die? I never ever bought the fact that Sam might be in mortal peril because he's Sam and he's going to leap and they got to, the show's got to go on. There is really no higher stakes that they can say, Oh, he's in the, but there there's, there's no stakes at all because he's always going to make it through. Um, where this episode shines for me is in the execution, in the acting, in the writing, but on a concept level, I just don't buy it because you know that he's going to get out of it. So when you have the touches with him, you know, counting right down to the end and they're actually throwing the switch and he's leaping that to me is just nonsense it's just like we're, we're building drama for the sake of building drama because you know he's going to get out of it well and i mean that's every episode though isn't it no they never take it right up right up to the end like that like he's going to be falling off a cliff or something i mean right before <laughs> he hits the ground i mean there were three episodes i could think of and two of them are in the future so i'm not gonna mention the names but there were three episodes i could think of where yeah, that tension was going right the way up until the end. And it was, yeah, is is he going to leap or isn't he? Um, and you know what, Chris? Y- yeah, you're right. But suspension of disbelief. I I was into the episode at that point and I, was, I believed Scott's performance. It didn't bother me that I knew, of course, he was going to leap. Right. Um, nor, nor does it me in, in the other couple of examples. But I agree with you. It's, it, that's the reason why they almost never... Uh, do that. Usually the tension ends five minutes before the end, and then you have the lovely chat where Al explains right. everything's going to be okay over the next 20 years, and then he leaps. This is a, quite rare to see him, to see that that tension running right up to the leap. Um, and I, I like it for it. That was the closest they've ever had at the ending, because you genuinely can't tell if that's the leap electricity, or if right. that is the chair yes. going off at yeah. the end. Like, that is so so close. And that goes in with the whole episode. He starts out in the hot seat. Yeah. And uh <laughs> and he ends it in the hot seat, right? Like he could right. still die before he leaps out. But what does that say now? We're we're talking about the, the faith aspect of this episode. You you talk about Allison about how everybody gets their faith restored in some way or or regains their faith. But what does that say about the way God is, I'm sorry, handling effect f***ing with Sam in this? Okay, you did your job. Okay, it's time for me to leap. I'll just let you sit there in mortal terror until the very last possible second. Well, it's like, what the f*** is that all about? So it, it just, it, it kind of made me angry a little bit if you're going to look at the God aspect of this. Why would God torture Sam in that way if, in fact, it is God whose hand is involved in all of this stuff? Chris, count the amount of times he leaps in and is immediately punched. Yeah. God, in the Quantum Leap world, God is a dick. All right, yeah, but but Sam can take a punch. Yeah, like, if you're going to go with that, like, why does he do anything to Sam in this, right? Yeah. Sam can take a punch. He can't take, like Al said, he can't take 20,000 volts. Yeah, true. <laughs> but also, that goes with um, part of the, the theme here is that uh, 
you don't always know why God does things and God tests people. Um, and Sam is not, he's, he's going back and forth through this whole thing, right? Because when he's talking to that priest at the end and the priest is trying to get him to confess, he's so adamant about this. Like, he's like, I don't have anything to confess. There's no reason that I should be here. And he's, he's, almost trying to convince himself, saying, like, you know, God is not too busy. He's not going to abandon me. I believe that I'm not going to die in that chair. I know this isn't going to happen. But you can tell he starts wavering at the end when he's talking to himself in the narration. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, you know, like, God, if you can hear me, I'm going to get out of here and all this. And eventually just goes, Al, why haven't I leaped? Yeah. And I loved that whole sequence, even if the priest's dialogue was a little bit on the nose. I mean... Basically describing himself as Sam would describe himself. <laughs> and they do that a lot in the show. But sure. I mean, mm-hmm. in this one, it, it was it was particularly glaring. But even though to me it was just dramatic wheel spinning, it's it's a chance to have some good writing and some, some good delivery by Scott. So even though I didn't buy that he was going to die in the electric chair ever, it's not that I didn't find any of it compelling. I found much of it very, very compelling and very good. It's just on the whole, it seems like... Well, what can we do to shock people? I'm not saying this is a season five level gimmick. To shock people? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> this, was that intentional? Uh, <laughs> what's going to be an electrifying leap? Uh, you know, that wasn't intentional. Anyway, somebody <laughs> believes me that that wasn't intentional. Chris, you're killing us here. <laughs> I like the way that they shot that scene at the end. Uh I, I like mm. the way that they shot all of the electric chair scenes because you have like these close up shots of like his his face and his hands, and when he's going in uh, at the end and has that that uh, voiceover narration about leaping out, um, all of the dialogue from everyone else is sort of muffled and echoey. Like he's just sort of distanced himself from the situation. And it, and it's rare they do voiceovers by this point in the show. Yeah, you know, they they always used to open with one of those chirpy leaping around in time bits <laughs> at the turn of a cosmic clock <laughs> <laughs> the ones that, are, that run over the action in kind of up to about halfway through season two when the he talk about what happened in the previous episode and those were always quite upbeat and then they cut those out and it's it's a really interesting time to bring this back just at this moment where he thinks he's gonna die and um it's very unusual and possibly even unique to hear Sam having that monologue, having that inner voiceover, and it being that dark. It's not something we're used to. A lot of the voiceover initially, it was just there for exposition. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, like, Sam's not actually thinking, like, in an inner monologue, because, like, why would you think to yourself, well, it's a turn of a cosmic clock, then I was doing this, and then I've learned this lesson. Like, who is he talking to right there? It's just the audience. It's very clearly the How I Met Your Mother scenario. It's after he's returned home, he's telling his kids all about how he, how he leaped around in time. Let me tell you kids about the time that I leaped into a cowboy. <laughs> that, this, is, this is the story of how I leaped home. Five years later, my God. This is the story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Alison, why did you go there? And Alison found the funny. Well, we knew we could get on you. This was, this was a rare moment where the voiceover was used as a, as a character thing. 
that he is thinking to himself. It's not meant for exposition. It's not meant for comic relief. And that's actually kind of rare, too, that it's not meant to to be lighthearted. What choice did they have? Because Sam is literally sitting in a cell for this entire episode. They had to go much more internally into the character. And I think, uh, Matt, it speaks to what you were talking about, how at the very end when, when, or did you say Allison, the voices were muffled, Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. it seemed like he was existing just in in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. He was just withdrawing and withdrawing and withdrawing. And I think that the voiceover in this kind of helped set that up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And one thing though, I mean, I, I liked the way that they portrayed the faith in this episode because it was sort of an undercurrent, again, not a pun, of the power of belief, which I, I think it ran through the episode, but it was never really heavy-handed, except maybe in one instance, and that was in Deus Ex Bad Kid Actor. <laughs> Are you an angel? <laughs> <laughs> Tessa, oh, the bullets! The bullets! <laughs> the bullets! And then the mom just takes her away like, oh, this is normal, Bye! <laughs> She does this all the time. Sorry. She watches too much TV. (laughs) Oh, man, was that just... It was kind of painful, but it kind of worked. You know what? Like, I always like those moments, not because the kid actors are that great, because this girl is not that great, but because, like, I just like Dean Stockwell interacting with them. Like, I feel like he's just having fun with with the little kids on set. Yeah, I think he does too and he probably has a lot of empathy for them because he grew up on movie sets sure. himself. Mm. So he probably knew what they were going through and probably has a lot more patience I think than many other actors would because he lived it. Hmm. But what what I liked about that scene even though I'm sorry that girl was screamingly bad and distracting <laughs> and you could see that she was looking at a cue card offset even though Dean was telling her exactly what to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that you can you can choose to see that girl as some kind of intermediary from God, or you can choose to see her as embodying some of the mythology of the show, that kids can see Elle, and it just happens to come in handy at this point. Sure. And it's not heavy-handed one way or another. So that's why I think it works. Uh, you know, it works on just about every level. However you want to watch it, it still fits perfectly in with the show and the theme of this episode. I think Quantum Leap is pretty good about... Even though, like, uh, religion is a, a theme that they'd use a lot, and God is, is an, uh, an overarching story, they always play it both ways. You can choose to believe that God is leaping them around in time, or you can think it's time, fate, whatever, some other higher being, or all of this is just coming together because of, you know, however the experiment works. You know, like, the, mm. you can choose to believe either way. And that's Sam's struggle at the end, really, isn't it? When he's starting to lose faith in God, it's you can tell he's starting to think, hang on, is this just a science experiment? Is this all completely random? Because if it is, <laughs> fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I just say, from the British perspective, because when the episodes first went out on the BBC, no ad break immediately before the end credits. And they they quite often put incidental music over the end credits, but this is the one episode where they have the upbeat theme tune running just after that. Yeah, why didn't they use, like, some of the more, like, gloomy incidental for that? I don't know, but it's it's awful. It it always reminds me of the end of, sorry to leap into another show briefly, but the end of Best of Both Worlds Part 1, 
which which goes from the best cliffhanger ever right into this chirpy, upbeat theme. And that is the problem with not having an ad break just before the end credits. You know what used to used to piss me off and make me just cringe as a kid, though? Whenever I watched a, a very special episode of MASH, and they would have like the downbeat slow over like the, the freeze frame at the end. And it was just like, get over yourselves. You're a freaking sitcom. <laughs> it's a dramedy. I, but I think that they might have been a little short on this episode because those end credits, I started watching them now for the show because you guys talk about them and you notice stuff that I never did. But what I noticed on this is those end credits were dragged out quite a bit. They they even had to like reloop the yeah. theme music, oh, yeah. even though they used that upbeat theme. They had to cut it in twice, seventy one seconds, which might make it the second longest. I'm just checking what I think is the isn't the longest another mother like that was like two minutes or maybe animal frat. There was one of those. There's a season five episode which I'm not even gonna name, but it's the second of a of three episodes that are linked. That's two minutes seven seconds. And it's not trilogy. It's not trilogy. <laughs> but I, so I think that we've narrowed it down for those yeah, yeah. that are spoiler hip. Why wouldn't he be able to name trilogy? I don't want to spoil it, but there's an episode that has three parts in it. Trilogy. What the hell is that voice, Alison? I'm sorry. I only got one British accent. Um, I love your British accent. It makes me crack up every time. Matt, I, we were doing so many British accents in the last episode. I want to hear your American accent. Like, no. do Chris. Be Chris. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, not until I've had a little bit more to drink. I'm, 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 I'm sober tonight. I'll, I'll start talking about coffee and it'll just be very embarrassing. <laughs> you talk like Linda Richmond? Yes. <laughs> now I'm getting emotional. I'm a little verklempt. Talk amongst yourselves. All right. Well, I, I did want to talk about, if we can go back to the episode. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, if I can loop things back to uh, that scene with, uh, are you an angel? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> when they're in the church, uh, when uh, Teresa's in the church and Al's with her, and he uses something they never use again with the, the hand link, where he does this like scanning thing. Yes. Mm. I wanted to talk about that. I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I liked that effect. Like, I I think that looks so cool, that, like, 80s blue glowy yeah. look. But it also fits in with, I mean, we haven't seen Back at the Project at this point, but it fits in with the aesthetic Back at the Project and what we come to see as Ziggy. Everything's blue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we have the blue imaging chamber. We have the blue leap effect. Ziggy's a, a big blue ball. Sorry to spoil it for everyone. But, I mean, it, <gasps> they, they made it fit right in without it even gelling necessarily like it could have been like season one hand link bad but instead it's almost prescient to the effects that they built in later into the show that became major touchstones i think of the whole quantum leap aesthetic so i really loved that and i love the fact that remember we were talking about how in the episode glitter rock where we were so happy to see al be on his own doing stuff and investigating being a resource that we don't often get to see in the show because like you pointed out matt it's much cheaper to have him just sit there and do exposition <laughs> but in this they had no choice i mean sam is locked up so i think that they used al's independence in this and his ability to go anywhere and do anything to its best effect but one thing that i, I noticed with this is they were I, 
I thought maybe Ron Moore was writing this episode because they go deep into handling techno babble in this, and <laughs> it just gets to be like. Uh, what you know? <laughs> it's like, so, well, what was some of the techno babble they were saying that you were? Oh, I I don't even know. It's when they were talking about calibrating it and focusing on Terse's brain waves, and then we have to do this and do that. They even pulled down the statues. If I can get Ziggy to modify the sensors on the hand link and work it as kind of a a metal detector. If I can center on her brain waves, that'll give Ziggy a clearer sensory base to pull from. I mean, it 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 just struck me as much more techie than Quantum Leap ever got for a show that never needed to explain the magic Mm -hmm. of leaping or how anything really happened. It's just there on screen. They went decidedly um, techie in this one to justify what Al was doing, where I I don't know that we necessarily needed it, um, but I didn't mind it. I mean, it was kind of using their resources. Like, they've done stuff sort of like this before. Never when he's, like, searching for something. But they've had, like, the handling display things and project. And yet, for all the handling exposition, they drop in a new bit of mythos of the, the Sam and Al link without any kind of explanation. Sam can suddenly hear Al over the phone. That's never happened before. Yeah. It doesn't happen again after. What was that they don't about? Even, they don't explain that. He just talks to him down the phone. Oh, it oh. happens another time after, oh, I does remember. It? Okay, all right. Yeah, in uh, Tale of Two Sweeties. Oh! I found it weird that Al could hear over the phone as well. I mean, I guess, you know, if he could hear anything in the leap, it makes as much sense as anything. Yeah. But, you know, he's connected to Sam's brainwaves or whatever, and then, like, he's listening to Teresa through the phone. And I, I don't know. That's it, it made it more obvious that this doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you think about <laughs> I never it. never even thought of that. I've been trying to retcon this in my head to say that, well, you know, Sam and Al are linked, and technically it's that link that establishes their ability to communicate at all. So why would Al's supposed location in Sam's reality be any kind of indicator of how Sam could hear him. Al is always in the same place. He's always in the imaging chamber. So Mm -hmm. no matter where he is relative to Sam, it's still the same connection. So you can have an over-the-phone kind of deal. Uh, You don't know that. I mean, Sam is just talking to Tersa, but he could be hearing Al in his head somehow. I, without with or without the phone for for whatever reason Ooh, you know that I, also explains some things to me because there's that scene in the church where Al is just like talking to himself and it's of course it's exposition for the audience mm-hmm. so that he's explaining what he's doing but maybe he's explaining it to Sam maybe Sam can hear him I like that I'm gonna stick with that I don't I don't think that's necessarily <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna wait until we can disprove this We're, I'm I'm sure next week we'll find. A reason that that's not the case. But no, we we can roll with that for now. I just hope that Scott Bakula got a day off. <laughs> I just hope when, like, Dean Stockwell was filming that scene, Scott Bakula got, like, one of his, like, four days off in five years. <laughs> <laughs> right? He, I bet this episode was, was pretty taxing to do, because you got to put yourself in this really dark emotional yeah. place through the whole thing. Uh, but he did such a great job. He did. And they said, look, you have the day off, but you can't shave. You can't shower and you can't sleep because we need you desperate on set on Tuesday. So, well, was it his real stubble or was it that like you know like makeup stubble where they like you know put someone else's hair on your face? Do they do that? They do that, but I think maybe it would be more obvious on the HD if he, they did. Allison, have you got to Superman three yet? I have not. Is there some bad stubble going on there? There's some bad. 
character is going through some dark places and therefore gets stubble. Um, and it's and it's bad stubble. Oh, is that where like Superman's like at a bar drinking? Oh, I didn't want to spoil it for you, but you've yeah. I well, it's an infamous scene, so I at least <laughs> know about that. <laughs> yeah, he's he's got uh, Sam Beckett stubble going on. <laughs> I think a lot of this was. It might have been some of his stubble, but like enhanced with makeup in this. I, I feel like they did some darker makeup on him to to make it seem like it's been there longer. It's all quite shadowy, so it's. I mean, the lighting generally, so it's you can't even in HD you can't make out a lot of detail, which is probably a blessing. Yeah, you can see it uh, in nice HD uh, close up when Moody is giving that speech to him about the last dance before an execution and they have that close zoom in and oh, oh the acting there so good yeah that's some of the best in the series i want to mm-hmm. say like um the guy who who plays moody what's his name james sloin yeah he's like a real he's a real that guy like i remember him from um from star trek yeah. like in deep space nine yeah he was odo's odo's mentor he was the yeah. scientist that found odo yeah the guy who uh odo uh emulated his awesome haircut after him yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just I just saw that episode, and you notice that Odo emulated the haircut that the guy has that swept back uh, blonde hair. And at the very end of this episode, even though Jesus is is got a shaved head, <laughs> Sam's hair is slicked back like Odo's. It was like, come on! <laughs> it's like how many weird callbacks can be popping off in my head right now? But but you're right, James Sloan, He was a that guy, and it took me a moment to recognize him without the Bajoran nose and earring. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wow, wow, that was a really good scene. His voice is pretty distinct. Like, even when he's in, like, makeup, because he's played some other, like, alien characters and stuff where, you like, his face is gone. Yeah, he, he was in a couple of next gens. He was a Romulan and a Klingon. Right, right. He's so good. And I I love Scott Bakula's, like, his, his uh, nonverbal acting when uh, he was hearing that speech. Mm. You can see the, the gears turning in his head as he's imagining him dying and having the, his last dance. Are you going to dance before your execution, Jesus? Uh, it's an old prison saying that a man on his final walk to the chair, the stench of fear chokes him and he panics, struggling in the arms of his captor for one more moment of freedom. Some people say it looks like a dance. The last dance before death. I think that Sloyan comes just short of like mustache twirling in that scene, but he just nails it. Like he just he just made it work, and a, and a great way to give him something else to do besides be the cliched heavy because we did see a lot of sort of cliched kind of characters in this. Maybe before they even became cliche, um, the prison guards were just a little too much for me in this. You had the one that was the CEO that was a Good jerk. Cop, bad cop. And just always antagonizing. And then the one that was too nice, the one that was too mm-hmm. understanding. I mean, you had him saying, hey, Seuss, I'm sorry, but it's the rule. It's like, <laughs> this guy is a convicted murderer who's going to death row and you're going to apologize for putting him in irons? <laughs> I just it, like why would why, why would you apologize for keeping yourself alive? I, I feel like those guys were a bit of an unnecessary addition. Like I get you need the the characters there, and and maybe they were just trying to do some character stuff with them. But like 
you know, the whole good cop, bad cop thing. Like, it didn't, it was an element that didn't really need to be there. Yeah, but again, it was it was a lot of sort of the, the cliches that I found in this episode. The other one that I really I found very distracting was Raul's motivation in the sense that, you know, having a sick daughter turned him to the life of crime and put him in the position that he was in. And that to me is like the worst villain origin ever. It's a pet peeve of mine, so maybe that's why I noticed mm. it. But in in a lot of things where you see like an origin for a villain, he's doing it because he needs to rescue his child from some kind of malady. And to me, that is just the worst kind of horseshit because it takes the onus <laughs> of being a jerk off of that person and saying, well, they did it for their kid. No, you did it because you, you couldn't get it together. Don't blame your kid for the asshole that you are. And I, I feel like having Raul fall into that and constantly crying, and it's just like, I, it, I, that if I had to point to one thing that just actively turned me off in the episode, it's the way they portrayed his character. I didn't mind wow. that, but it was kind of a cliche thing. Like, he has the sick daughter, and then they go to the church, and then they're going to rob the poor box. And, you know, all of that is a little bit, um, a little bit cliched. But it's just, that's just the setup for the episode. That's not, the episode isn't focused on that, but it's just what got them where they are. It's, if it was 45 minutes of that, sure. But no, I agree, it's a bit of a cliche, but... um, I think maybe doing that um, perhaps makes you understand Jesus a little more. It, It doesn't make him a good guy. Like, he did murder someone. But if you think about it from his perspective, he and his brother are trying to get money from a church to help a sick girl and that that supposed godly man says you know you're just gonna use it for rum like he's being a racist you know and and telling them to like get out and they don't have any money um and so when he came back and killed him he thought he was going to get money to save his niece so it doesn't make him a good guy i think i I just it makes it a little grayer than just you know he was a bastard who killed someone well, I'm, I'm, I was talking more about Raul than Jesus. I thought Jesus was pretty irredeemable. Sure. Well, he was going to let his brother die for him. So, I mean, like, <laughs> fuck him for that. Well, they, they were brothers. I thought they were just amigos. I just thought they were really good friends. Are they just amigos? Never mind. I thought they were brothers, but they could have been friends. I mean, they could they could have been brothers. They could have had a relationship like brothers. Growing up in a close-knit community, they probably were like brothers. And he was going to just let him die with him. Right. And why would, yeah, and why would he go back and shoot that priest? I mean, I, I can understand Raul in a moment of anger, just seeing red because his daughter, but even he didn't go, you know, commit murder. Sure, it was the wrong thing to do, regardless. <laughs> right, why would why would Jesus go back unless he was just some cold-blooded asshole? So, I, I, yeah. I don't know. And I think that brings us to the central theme of this episode, even though they never really discuss it, is capital punishment. Which wasn't even, I don't think it was even legal in that state at that point, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. There, there were 10 years in the US where there was no death sentences being carried out, and that's smack bang in the middle. They could have just put that a few years earlier and it would have been okay. Minor historical goof. But I, here's what, what I found that was odd for Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap is usually a show 
that will take a stand on a certain issue. It will often do so very safely, as I've discussed on the podcast before in one of my segments. It will often do so in a way that is designed not to offend middle America, but it will usually stake a claim somewhere. In this episode, I think they were just decidedly mushy on Mm -hmm. the entire question of capital punishment. They neither condemned it, nor did they endorse it. It was just sort of the backdrop. And it was a way for them to bring up this controversial topic, but they never addressed it. They never got into any controversy over it. And I found that to be odd for, especially Don. He's like, who said, I think Chris said, Chris Rupenthal on an episode or two back, Don never shied away from a fight. He loved to fight. So why would they, I can't even say they waffled. Why would they just completely swerve around the elephant in the room in this episode? Yeah, it was weird that they didn't at least pay any lip service to it. Uh, In that situation, I don't think Sam would be able to do anything about it, but surely like just saying something. It is interesting that they present both sides of the argument almost in Raul and Jesus, in that there was almost an innocent man executed. So what do people think about capital punishment being reminded that, you know, it's it's not always someone who was guilty of the crime that they're going to die for. Do you think the the fact that the argument was shied away from perhaps reflected a lack of agreement between the production team? I mean, when when we look at the other controversial areas that Quantum Leap touches on over the years, I've always assumed that the entire production team were in firm agreement. This thing is bad, that thing is good. Is it possible maybe that Don and Deborah perhaps didn't agree on capital punishment and and couldn't agree on a way to a line in the sand for the show to draw be it pro or or against? That's an interesting hmm. That's the only explanation I can think of as to why. Because you're right, it's it's odd that it doesn't just come out and say one thing or the other. Well, yeah, and I think it's also very telling that in many ways, Tersa in this is like agent provocateur. Um, usually the character of Tersa would be the crusader trying to free the guy from death row because he's wrongly wrongly convicted and, you know, the death penalty is is bad and it should never happen. And yeah, they didn't do it that way at all with this. She was sort of working from the inside out and it really didn't have to do with the death penalty. It had to do with the unfair persecution of Cubans mm-hmm. in her estimation by a system that was using them for some kind of political gain or anyway, a man that was using or, or persecuting them to just gain political favor. And that speaks mm-hmm. to – it's very prescient, I think, to a lot of the same kinds of issues that we're facing today in the political arena. Mm-hmm. I think both in America and in, in the UK. Yeah. I mean, I could be wrong with that, but, uh, you know. No, for sure. I don't know how political we want to get on this show, but uh, that's a topic that hasn't really gone anywhere. If anything, it's it's <laughs> been – this the pendulum swung way, way, way into into that zone now. And it's funny that – a lot of the stuff that I was seeing in this episode from 1991 <laughs> was really resonating with me. Yeah. Just about the ideas of discrimination and marginalization and scapegoating certain people for your own self-aggrandizement. Anyway, that's as far as I'm going to go on this. I don't want to lose, uh, you know. <laughs> I, f- I feel that was 
I feel that was also another running theme through multiple characters in this, um, using somebody else or manipulating someone else for your own gain. Because obviously there was Moody, who's using Jesus and Raul for political gain. Um, Jesus was using Teresa Mm -hmm. for her faith and her integrity and and her people. He was using that for his own gain because obviously he was guilty. He was just trying to manipulate her. And Sam thinks that he's trying to manipulate the law in some way. He even has like a voiceover where he's talking about this, where he's like, he he feels like he's he's just trying to manipulate it to buy himself some time. And of course, Al uses the little girl. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And if you want to go even more meta, God is using Sam to manipulate the entire situation. So wheels within wheels <laughs> within wheels, man. Yeah, but but I'm talking about like manipulating in a, in a dishonest way. Rather than, I mean, like, you can say anyone did something that caused something else to happen. But I mean, like, as far as, you know, like, people being dishonest to try and sway someone to something else. Yeah, and again, it shows you what a very shady character Jesus was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And making Sam unwittingly this awful person because he doesn't know that he's manipulating her in Jesus's favor, even though he's a guilty man. Right. And when she smacks him in the face, when the betrayal becomes evident, man, that was the best scene of the episode. Yeah. Jenny Gago as Tersa. She was amazing. She was great. She knew how to hit the right tones. And she was also really pretty. I that. <laughs> that always helps. That's important. <laughs> is this like, this is like, they liked the name Teresa a lot in the show, too. Like, Teresa, Teresa? Yeah, I Mm. think that's that version of Tom, right? (laughs) Yeah, like, this is at least the third one I can think of. Well, you have the the little girl Teresa from Another Mother, right? Wasn't she Mm -hmm. Teresa? Yeah, the girl from Double Identity was also Teresa. Oh, that's right. (laughs) 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 They got to say Teresa. Teresa, thank you. Now I remember. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then they have this woman, and there might have been some others, but I guess that's another name they just liked. Yeah. I, 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 I've I, been debating whether or not I want to broach a certain topic because it's definitely going to speak to uh, major spoilers for the series at large. But if I give a warning, do you think we, we, we could? Do you think we should? I think we could. I mean, we do it enough anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. I'm just going to tell everybody then. I think as long then, as people know it's coming. That's yeah, it's fine. coming. It's coming. The big red warning lights are on because I want to speak to some larger questions of leaping. And we do have to break the timeline to talk about it. Turn it off here and fast forward to the break if, uh, if you don't want to hear it. But all right. If Sam is leaping himself, which they say at the end of Mirror Image... Why would he put himself into this situation? (laughs) This is another reason why, with the whole series in perspective, in my mind, I was having a hard time buying this very last-minute leap out when just before the switch is thrown or as the switch is being thrown. Why, if Sam is leaping himself, would he delay the leap out to that last possible second? And if he has the agency, why wouldn't he just immediately, when he gets into that chair and realize where he is, leap out again like a fight or flight situation kick in i know this might be esoteric but yep he he is feeling subconsciously guilty for not being able to save his father's life and punishing himself (laughs) how's how's that for an on the spot answer i'm gonna say that's as good as anything that i could come up with (laughs) i hadn't thought of that though that's good 
I think you are right about the subconscious thing, though, because I don't think they mean literally like he's like, I'm going to leap here now. <laughs> like, I think it's all it is subconscious if you think that that is what he's doing, um, because he doesn't think he it, like, he wants to continually help people. And that's why he never leaps home. Otherwise, mm. you could say, well, why doesn't he just leap himself home, even though he really wants it? Well, because subconsciously, he just doesn't think <laughs> he should stop helping people. So that's why he doesn't like immediately just leap out of a situation because it's dangerous. Cause I mean, most of them are. And I realize that I'm looking at this with 2020 hindsight and it's not fair to the episode as it existed at the time that it aired. I know that they were, they, they didn't know that they were going to go in that direction or I doubt that they did anyway. But it was just an interesting wrinkle to put on top of, of, of a rewatch. Because you want to watch something as a whole. You want to watch something in a cohesive manner. And it just struck me as very odd that Sam would do this to himself if you're going to buy that interpretation of mirror image. If you go with either interpretation, you got to wonder certain things. You know, like, if it was God, why would God wait until, like, that last second to yeah. leap him out, you know? Right, It's yeah. because TV is better when it's more dramatic. <laughs> And I guess God's we can... like watching it and he's like, oh, oh, oh this is great. It's going to be so awesome. Wait, do you see this part? Come in here, Jesus. Look at this. <laughs> look at this guy. I've been leaping him around for five years. He says, oh boy, every time. <laughs> can you believe it? I like your God voice. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> he's, he's almost Santa, I guess. <laughs> really? <laughs> Hmm. Well, it needs work. I have to go. I want to point out something in this episode that I think looked better than ever, which is the hologram effect. And this, to me, is the most organic that the effect has ever been used in the show, where you just have Al kind of nonchalantly walking through the bars um, and then pacing back and forth in that hallway. Um, it was good blocking, but at the same time, I think a lot of times with the hologram effect, you have the little musical cue, the dun-dun-dun, and it's almost like they give you a half a second setup to say, see, it's coming, it's coming, he's going to walk through something. And in this <laughs> one, he kind of he kind of just does, mm -hmm. like it's not even there. And there's even the part where he's showing Sam about how they found the bullet in the wall behind the painting, and he sticks his hand through, and he, it just comes back, yeah. and he's walking through the wall and walking back because he's so animated and so excited about it. And I'd never seen it used to such good effect, yet come across so naturally in the show. Yeah. And I thought that that was a, a really, really great part of this episode. I'd not thought about that. Yeah, you're right. And I hadn't thought about it either. But I think it is good how naturally that they put it in. And, and I think maybe because this was essentially a bottle episode. I mean, they go some places, but most of it is just in the jail cells. Um, they maybe had some extra money lying around to like do some extra effects like that. Yeah, could be. Could be, yeah. Well, if they did or they didn't, whatever they had, they made it work, and they made it work perfectly, in my opinion. How much did it cost per hologram effect, Matt? Do you remember? Oh, no, I don't remember. But yeah, yeah I, <laughs> it, I know there's... Um, it was something like 2000 or something. It was a lot of money. Yeah, one of the season five directors did an interview where he said that he wanted an extra day of shooting, so he asked to remove one or two hologram effects in order to get a whole extra day's shooting. Wow. Wow. I, I don't know how true that is, but that's that's crazy. 
I mean, it was it would have been really difficult to do these effects, and I think like we get kind of spoiled now with the TV that we have and and how easy it is to do effects just from your own computer. But I mean, back then that was super complicated. It was a novelty back then. Mm-hmm. Him just blinking out, yeah, you know, like jump cuts. Oh my yeah. god, did you see how we did that? <laughs> I don't you know. know like- I mean, not if you watched I Dream of Genie, <laughs> but still. <laughs> I remember watching a a special effects uh, special or little, like, video that they did for something for Quantum Leap, where they were talking about doing the jump cut, and they were explaining it like it was this huge technical thing. They're like, look, and then we freeze them, and then (laughs) Dean jumps in, and then bloink, and then you just delete the footage here, and then, oh my god! (laughs) Don't spoil the magic, Alison! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) There's some great footage, too, of... um, him on a blue screen for this cut effect that they did in uh, in Goodbye Norma Jean later, where he's like walking on a pool following Marilyn Monroe, and you see like Dean Stockwell just on the blue screen, like tiptoeing on the water. <laughs> wow, I'm gonna have to watch for that. I don't think I've ever noticed that that bit in that in it's, that episode. It's not in that episode. It was cut. Oh, okay. Because I was thinking maybe it was at a time when the brunette was in that bikini top, and I'm not really looking at anything else in the scene. So. <laughs> You're just we'll looking. get there. We'll yeah. get there. <laughs> anyway, we don't have to keep me talking about Goodbye Norma Jean, but just interesting. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, do you guys have any other major themes, or do you want to start wrapping up? Or The only thing I want to add, because I, I try and think of a British perspective for this show whenever I can, and it's rare that I actually can. All right, can can I can I ask you because I did want to ask you about that the the whole idea of capital punishment in the UK. Yeah, I mean we I I've never grown up with capital punishment being a thing, but I grew up knowing that it was a thing in lots of other parts of the world, so it didn't really phase me. The thing that actually surprised me, and keep in mind I was quite young when I saw this, um, but the, what I learnt about America from this episode, and we should stop before this gets too political, is. You guys have to pay for healthcare. What? Um, now, obviously, oh. <laughs> this that wow. the whole that just that little bit of back backstory about the the girl and the the needing the medication and having to go and steal the money to get the medication. As as a kid, I was watching this, thinking, just go to the hospital. You'll get it for free. What the hell are you talking about? See if it was happening nowadays, she'd have a GoFundMe. <laughs> True. So. I, I grew up with a lot of American TV, so it's it's rare I can really th- throw a, a true British perspective on the episodes. But that was that was something that at the time jumped out to me. So was that like the first time that you had really come to realize that that in the states we had to pay for healthcare? Yeah. Wow. Yep. I I had no idea up until then. So yeah, I knew you guys had capital punishment in some states, so that that was fine. And there's obviously there's there's lots of movies that talk about that and make a big deal out of it. So um, I kind of I accepted that. But yeah, the the nuances of your healthcare system were were completely new to me. And that's something that uh, completely I was like, oh okay. I mean, that seemed almost cliche to me. He yeah. couldn't afford the medicine, so he went out and robbed the poor box. Like Allison was saying, it's it's kind of a stock motivation. Oh yeah, and and I agree. Now having seen a lot more TV and film, that that is a cliche. Whether it's uh, specifically about stealing money for a sick daughter, or yeah, be- becoming evil because of some kind of issue with a child that you've got to help resolve. Um, but uh, yeah, at the time, it definitely wasn't a cliche for me. And um, specifically, that was something that I, th- I think I, I probably watched and thought, 
Oh, okay. Well, this was the seventies. I'm sure it's all different now. <laughs> Again, let's 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 not let's not go too too far into politics here. But yeah, that's, um, uh, you know, nowadays there's there's no problem with capital punishment, discrimination, <laughs> marginalization, political gain, paying for health care. All of these things have been solved. Hooray! Yes, yes. Go America! Yeah. So, <laughs> well, I think I've said pretty much everything that I have to say about this episode. You guys want to get into some final observations? Sure. Is this good quantum leap? Sure. Well, hmm. It's <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. That was loaded. What? <laughs> it, okay. It's really good drama, but it is very unusual quantum leap. So I just, I had to rethink then when you said, is it good quantum leap? Quantum Leap is very different one week to the next, but this is so out of character. It's almost not good Quantum Leap, but it is it is really, really good drama. The guest characters are amazing. Scott's completely on point. The script is brilliant. It's it's a really top hour of TV. Um, it's just, it's very out of character for Quantum Leap. That's the one thing I'd say. Allison? There's like... um. It's hard to have a grading scale for me, like, is this good Quantum Leap? Because there are things where I can recognize it's good, but it's not my favorite. Like, this is one of those. It's a very well-made and well-acted episode. Um, everyone is putting in stellar performances, and, like, the drama is there. Um, it, it doesn't let you have an easy way out. You're supposed to be uncomfortable, and you're supposed to, to feel tense, and that's what they were going for, and they were successful in that aspect. Is it one that I like to revisit a lot? No. <laughs> but um, I think it is good Quantum Leap. Okay. And I'm going to sort of straddle the middle on this one. I, I abhor the gimmick. I just do. And the fact that they used something as horrific as getting fried in an electric chair as a, a trick to bring viewers in kind of turns me off. I never, like I said, bought the fact that Sam was ever in any kind of real danger. But for all of that, I think that this was a much more enjoyable episode than it had any right to be. I think it's good Quantum Leap because it raises a lot of issues, but it stays centered on the characters and the story. And boy, did we get great acting and great writing, and it let all those characters shine. So I, I loved it for that. And I also loved it because... A lot of times to me, Quantum Leap can be heavy handed and it will espouse a point of view and that is the right point of view. In this one, I think the viewers can get out of it what they bring to it and have whatever they have in their hearts reinforced. Like I think it touches on faith without hitting you over the head with it. It touches on capital punishment without telling you how to think about it one way or another. It never gets preachy. And because of that, I think it's an especially strong episode, especially one that was so, I guess, so loaded, so loaded to have a specific point of view. And it, it, it never really came down one way or another. And because it wasn't heavy handed, I, I thought it was it was very good, which, which might sound odd, but I thought that, that was a strength of the episode. So I'm going to say it's good Quantum Leap. And I also liked all the neat character bits that they gave us that fit in with the Quantum Leap mythology, like the kids being able to see Al and Al bopping around somewhere else with the hand link effect. And there was a lot of good geek Quantum Leap nerd stuff to, to, to chew on in this one, too. So, so for that, it stands out to me as a particularly good episode. Well said. 
Okay, with that, I think it's time to throw to a break. And when we get back, I, I want to tell you guys, I think we got some particularly good feedback. So I can't wait to share that. Um, sit back, listen to these words, and we'll bring you that in a bit. If you like listening to this podcast, then I guarantee you're going to love Thinking Outside the Long Box and our scintillating interviews with pop culture celebrities. I have a responsibility, not just to my son, but to everyone I meet, to let you see this is what you can do. This is what you can have. Look at how different I am. My God, look at all these people here. Can I be more different? Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop me. So why should it stop you? Our discussions on the classics of pop culture literature and movies. This version of Night of the Living Dead, I regard personally as my favorite movie of all time. Oh, really? I can trace it back to that movie for my love for for movies and, and, and entertainment. And of course, our intelligent discussion on all things pop culture. Reading, passively reading the comic book. That's good. Here, I'll put it close to the mic. Oh, listen to me flip the pages passively. Yes. And then, so this is aggressive comic book reading. Oh, man, yes! It's so good! It's like that. Wow. Well, maybe not so intelligent. To listen to us, search for Thinking Outside the Long Box at iTunes or Stitcher, or find us at www.totlb.com. Now back to your super interesting show. The one thing I wasn't able to squeeze into any of that is the wonderful line that Al has that Jesus is in a comatose coma. What the fuck other kind <laughs> of coma said, is there? He said comatose coma, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and whoopee dippy dong, he's history, son. <laughs> well, I hope you guys didn't slip into comatose comas during the break. Matt, I think that's a very good observation. That was a zippy line. Just like whoopee dippy dong. Thank you, Alice. <laughs> And, Why uh, is Al talking about his whoopee dippy dong? <laughs> you know, you know, the, the the character has a certain center, and he has to stay true to that center. So <laughs> I think that's a good line. I like that he calls Sam's son. I don't know. I just <laughs> your history, son. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, for the age difference that they had between them, and all of like the character relationships, such a deep character relationship. They never did stray into that line of like a father-son kind of thing between Sam and Al. They are always like buds. Mm. And the way they portray Sam and his relationship with his father being such a central part of the series, it never even occurred to me to think that Al could be something of a surrogate father to him. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's weird that he like he calls him son and kid. He says kid a lot, even though he's like in his 30s. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they don't even go into the like mentor protege thing or anything like it always feels like they're on equal ground and uh i mean sam is the moral center anyway i mean like al would be a horrible father figure (laughs) (laughs) sam is more of the father figure if anything you know he's the one like trying to do the right thing and al's like oh whatever and i think when (laughs) when we get to play ball i think we're going to talk about that some more because that's the one that really delves into some of that backstory and explains why yeah al Al can't exactly take any kind of high ground with sam despite being the 
chronologically older one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was Al that said, you know, you're the one that gave me a shot when no one else would. Yeah. Or something like that to the effect. Wasn't that that goes all the way back all the way back to Genesis, doesn't it? Yeah. Or maybe Starcrossed, yeah. So he talks about it in um the end of the season, I believe. Okay. okay. All right. Well, so we have more of that interplay to come, more of that dynamic to be revealed. So but do you guys mind I want to go right to feedback here because we have a phone line. And I for some reason did not get notified that we had a new call. I usually get like a little bloop, you have a new call, and I just I I'm I'm kind of really bummed that it took me this long to find this. I just I just checked it today on a whim to see hey, we haven't gotten many. Co- oh, what is this? A new one? And it was way back from June. It was a response to our private dancer episode, and I know we had a lot of fun with that episode. And I especially kind of was I don't know maybe not very flattering towards it. But it seems to have touched a lot of people. Mm. Allison, <laughs> you read those letters from from the, the two deaf girls that you know about the way that they sort of watched the episode and what it meant to them. Mm-hmm. And we got a great voicemail from another listener who saw so much in this episode that reflected them. So um, do you guys mind if I just play it right here? Go for it. All right. This is from Jessica Gimeno, who left us this message. Hi, this is Jessica Jimeno, and I enjoyed your podcast on Private Dancer. I wanted to share a few thoughts as a disability rights advocate. When I saw this episode as a child, I fell in love with Quantum Leap at 10. I found the story entertaining, and Diana reminded me of Elizabeth Shue in Adventures in Babysitting. But today as an adult who lives with a serious disability that I acquired at 24, this episode is one example of Quantum Leap telling history through the eyes of marginalized groups. In this case, people with disabilities. It takes place in 1979, 11 years before President Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, which said that we were equal under the law and our civil rights and employment, housing, and other areas must be enforced. But back in 79, most people who did not have disabilities didn't even think about that. In your interview with the magnificent Debbie Allen, she talks about human trafficking. Women who are deaf, and or have intellectual disabilities are at a higher risk of being trafficked and forced into prostitution. Private Dancer reminds us that when the civil rights of people with disabilities are not respected, it not only hurts them and leaves them vulnerable to being exploited, but it also robs society of our contributions. We see what Diana has to offer when Joanna gives her a second chance, and everyone is better for it. Until now, I had no idea that Debbie Allen directed Revenge of the Evil Leaper, another episode which I love. I find it interesting that she directed it because Jimmy's story is the other one on Quantum Leap that has to do with the rights of people with disabilities at work. Thank you. I look forward to your next podcast. That's lovely. That's great. I liked hearing that. Thank you, Jessica. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I wish that I had gotten that earlier, but in a way, I'm glad that we have it for this episode because she is speaking to the um, the marginalization in the case of Private Dancer, the marginalization of Diana because of her disability. But I think this episode, Last Dance, also tried to speak to some issues of marginalization of larger communities as a whole. So they they kind of jive thematically. And Again, I, I I don't know that I feel bad because it was organic. It was in the moment. I wasn't certainly wasn't trying to be malicious, but 
so many people saw so much in, in Private Dancer where I didn't. And it's always humbling and wonderful to hear these different points of view from people who aren't me. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice <laughs> to get out of the echo chamber of my own snark every once in a while <laughs> and to like actually hear from people who have been affected in very significant ways by Quantum Leap and the ideas that it tries to present. So, Jessica, thank you so much for that insightful call. Um, I wish we had every, you know, everyone who had thoughts like this would express them because our podcast is richer for it. Yeah, I didn't know that uh, that women who are deaf or have intellectual disabilities are at higher risk for uh, sex trafficking. So that's interesting to know. It certainly makes sense. I, I didn't know that for a fact. But yeah, when I heard that voicemail, I thought, yeah, I can understand why that would be the case. But that's... Um... That's very sad, and it adds it adds another dimension to Private Dancer. And I didn't know. I don't think that this episode had in mind the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act because I think this was something again in your book, Matt. Wasn't it? There's a line in there that seems to indicate that that they kind of goofed the timeline. Yes, I think so. That was a that that was months ago. We were looking at that, Alison. Don't, <laughs> don't expect me to remember what I said. Sorry. No, there was a there was a guy, the guy who who ran the club. He says something like, you know, oh, she's deaf. That means I'm like an equal opportunity employer or something like that, which would relate to that act, wouldn't it? I uh, EEO. Yeah, I don't know if that if that came, but I think that was before the Americans with Disabilities Act. I think that was much more of a affirmative action, civil rights kind of deal. So so was it a thing then? At that point? EEO? Yeah. I believe EEO was probably a thing in 79. Okay. Uh, but I, I, um, ADA wasn't. Yeah, no. And it's, it's funny because I guess from our perspective, even though we lived through that, uh, anyway, I did. Um, I was so young. In, in my perspective, from my point of view, these rights have been on the books for so long that they're just, it's like it's a matter of course. Hmm. Whereas for people with the disabilities who actually had to fight the fight and build the systems that allowed them to, you know, get on an equal footing with all the rest of us, this is all very new stuff. It's funny because it reminds me, and this is getting a little deep and maybe a little bit too broad, but when Obama was elected president, I, you know, I, I thought about it and it's like, I can, my parents were alive at a time when places were segregated. So within mm -hmm. their lifetime, they went from that <laughs> kind of social structure to the first African-American president. And it shows you how far we've come because of pioneers like this. But, you know, we've been talking about current geopolitical climate on this show a lot. It, it, we also have so much further to go. So it's always great to get a call like this to remind me not to take this kind of stuff for granted which I often do, because it's not usually on my mind. I think, oh, well, it's great. People have been fighting these fights, and they, they've won their rights, but it's always a constant struggle. And just to hear different voices, it always amazes me. I think it's always important to remember just winning legal rights doesn't immediately mean that everyone is educated. Um, I mean, I, I, I can only talk to the British perspective, but there's still a lot of confusion among especially smaller employees that don't have well-read HR or legal departments that actually understands what rights um, their disabled employees should have. So that the law might be there, but it's often up to the disabled person to educate themselves. I mean, do you know anything about 
uh, disabled rights in the UK then? Because obviously Americans with Disabilities Act, that's a, a US based thing. So was there a similar type law put into place? And do you know the kind of history there? Yeah, I couldn't tell you the history, but um, having having been a people manager myself and technically having a disability myself, I've I've ended up with a fair amount of knowledge around it. I, I couldn't tell you about the history or, or how long it's been there for, but we have we have some pretty good laws in place. But again, the question is, especially with with smaller employers, um, how how much knowledge they have about what they they should and shouldn't do. Um, I think that's still very much up in the air and there's still a lot of education to uh, that needs to take place. Was this fairly recent that uh, they started, uh, you know, what, whatever the equivalent would be in the UK, employing uh, people with disabilities and their, uh, protecting their rights? No, th- this, is, this has been around for a while. So I, certainly within my whole working life, it's been, it's been the norm. So um, it would have to go back at least as far as your, um, as as the act that you're talking about, uh, because I started working in 97. Um, And by that point, from what I can tell, it it was the norm. But with that, um, with that acceptance that things aren't always um, done the way that they're legally meant to be through ignorance. Can I ask, we can cut this if you don't want to talk about it, but what, what is technically your disability? Oh, I've got epilepsy. Oh, okay. So, which which I rarely describe as a disability, but when it starts coming into disability law, it counts. So, well, yeah, I mean, it could be. It's it's one of those things where it's like it's hidden, but could be a huge yeah. issue. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I wanted to to note on this feedback, uh, the second Jimmy story is is actually uh, deliver us from evil. So that's not Revenge of the Evil Leaper. But I do like that the show, when they did touch on uh, issues that involved people with disabilities, they did hire people that had those disabilities. Yeah. You know, they got a, a deaf actress mm. to play the deaf dancer, and mm. the, Jimmy obviously was a, an actor with Down syndrome. So I think that they were always very conscious of trying to tell other people's perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can, uh, I just also want to refresh you guys' memory. Um if you remember when we did the episode uh, Runaway, we got a great letter from someone that had been in a debate club speaking oh. about uh, about Emma and uh, what was his name? Billy. And uh, it was Jessica who had the thoughts about them being in debate club together during college. And uh, so, Jessica, thank you again for reaching out. Again, I'm really sorry that uh, I was not more on the ball with finding these calls, but uh, I'm glad that we were able to showcase this one a little bit. Like I said, I think it was thematically a little bit more appropriate for this episode. So, Oh, that that one was great. I liked both those, the feedbacks that she's given. I'm sure maybe Mm. she's given some in the past. They're they're very thoughtful. So keep them coming, Jessica. Yes, Jessica, please do. And if you guys out there want to be like Jessica, there are many, ways that you can reply to the episodes that you hear. You can get us on the phone at 707-847-6682. You can send us an email at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And if you want to go that extra mile, you could support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember, we may use your response in an upcoming episode 
of the podcast. So uh, I think that uh, that about wraps it up, guys, for Last Dance for an Execution. Matt, where are we going next? We are seeing Heart of a Champion next. So I guess it had to happen, right, guys? A wrestling episode? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Hey, here's what I'll have to say about that. It's an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Allison, don't go giving away all that good content before we do the podcast proper. (laughs) I said a couple of episodes back that we were just coming up to a really solid run that goes right the way up to the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you oh. forgot about Heart of a Champion, I, did you? Is I it because it's so memorable? Because <laughs> when I said there's one or two I disagree about, might have been thinking of this one. <laughs> I, I actually, I, I think it has its strengths, and I'm looking forward to defending it. Sure, sure. Well, shades of things to come, everyone. Uh, you'll just have to hear Allison's reasoning and Matt's defense uh, on the next episode. I can tell you guys this, a lot of good radios in this one. So I'll be talking about that. So that's what <laughs> I remember anyway. So, so until then, I've been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time, everybody, in the ring. Ding, ding. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Zoe Dean and Hayden McQueenie. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Allison, and Christopher DeFilippis. The production assistant is Jesse Newman. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Juan Muro, Christopher DeFilippis, and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. <laughs>